So he says, we all run. We run to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict what? Training. <laughs> they do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. That's what I call cross-country running. <laughs> I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you tonight for your word. We're asking you to speak to us. I thank you for every single person who made a decision to be in church on this Wednesday night. You see them. You know everything they had to struggle through to make it here tonight. And I'm praying that even if they made it here and they fought it the whole way and maybe even now they're wondering if they should just walk out, give them the strength, God, to stay, to stay, to hear your word, to see this through because you have something for every single person that's gathered in this room tonight, and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said amen. In John chapter 16, um, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's, he's explaining uh, that when he leaves, there's gonna be a lot of trouble that comes. There's gonna be a lot of difficulties that the church faces. And so he talks to them about all of those difficulties, the different types of persecution, the different types of uh, frustrations that they will feel in his absence. But he, he tells them that he's gonna send the Holy Spirit. And at the end of John, around verse 33, the Bible says this, Jesus says, I, I tell you these things so that in me you will have peace. In this world, you will have trouble but take heart, I have overcome the world. Come on, is there anybody thankful that he has overcome the world? And he tells us also in 1 John chapter five and verse four, it says that every child of God defeats this evil world and we achieve this victory through our faith. So Jesus said, I have overcome the world the Bible teaches us that we as children of God can defeat the world and the way we achieve this victory, 1 John 5 and 4 says our faith. 1 Timothy 6 and 12 though says about our faith that our faith is a fight. He says fight the good fight of faith. The Bible teaches us this because there are some things that God has for you that you're gonna have to fight to possess. Peace is not just something that just kind of zaps its way into your life. The Bible teaches that if you want the peace of God, then you have to give all of your cares to him. You have to give all of your prayer to him. You have to make known your request to him. And when you do that, then the peace of God. And so to get that peace that comes, you have to fight in prayer and you have to fight through your feelings and you have to fight through your anxiety to, to go ahead and have the faith, to go ahead and open up your mouth and say, God, I trust you in this moment. I give my cares to you. I give you my 
my anxiety, I give you my fear, I give you my doubts, I give you all of my worries, and when you do that, the Bible says he will transfer all of your worry out and he will return to you his peace. Is there anybody in the room tonight thankful for the exchange that God makes? Takes our anxiety and gives us his peace. There are some things we... We talked about this a little bit Sunday. I think Sunday is one of the more important messages that I've preached all year to you. You just have to wrestle, you have to fight to possess. Faith is a fight. Some of you know this. And like Jacob, who we talked about on Sunday, Jacob fought his entire life. If you think that his fight stopped in Genesis 32 when he was done fighting with the angel. You didn't read the rest of Jacob's story. Just a couple chapters later, Jacob finds himself and his family in a situation where one of his daughters has been taken captive and she's been raped. And the Bible says that his, two of his sons have to go into the city and God gifts them and they actually kill every man in this community and they reclaim Come on, this daughter that had been taken and violated. There are just some things, even though you might think, wow, I finished that fight. There are just, there's a fight, listen to me, on every level of your life. And, and I think sometimes when we, when we are in a fight, we can think we're the only people who, who are in a fight, right? I think sometimes people who are, who are married and have children think that they're in a special fight and that people without kids aren't fighting anything because, because they forgot what the fight looked like. Have you ever forgotten what your previous fight was because you're currently involved in, to, in a fight? But, but people without kids fight. Single people are fighting something. Everybody in this room, come on. High school kids are fighting something. Junior high kids are fighting something. My 10-year-old boy is fighting something. Everybody in this room is fighting something. And you have to understand this. Paul teaches us that the fight is normal. It's actually abnormal not to find yourself in a fight. You you, you might want to question whether or not you're actually alive if you're not in a fight right now. Paul says in Romans 7, talking about this, just even this war that goes on in in himself. It's not just that we're fighting exterior forces. How many of you wake up every day and the biggest fight you fight is not the people on your job, but the guy who wants to take you back to your old self? (laughs) Come on, somebody. (laughs) And, And I think very often we don't realize that the fight is really not about God changing people. The fight is really about God changing us. And if he can change us, then we won't have a problem with people. So I'm in a fight. You're in a fight. Everybody's in a fight. But if we're not careful, we'll get so caught up in fighting that we'll forget to train. (laughs) And a big part of being able to fight correctly in the kingdom of God is taking the time Train. Second oh. Timothy chapter three, verses 16 and 17 says, all scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be competent and equipped 
for every good work. The psalmist said in Psalm 18 and 34, he said, he trains my hands for war. He trains my hands for war. Robbie, I thought God always fought for me. Hmm. Why would he train me to fight if he always fights for me? Why would Paul say, I fought if God always fights for me? Here's the thing. It's not that God hasn't gone ahead of you and and, and see, what God does is he will secure the victory, but you still have to fight the fight. For instance, when the children of God got into Canaan, there was still a fight left for them inside of the promise. Some people think that when they get into the promise that all fighting ceases. <laughs> no, you actually get into the promise and you find out there are fights in the promise. When they got there, Joshua looks at Caleb and says, hey, you remember that mountain you wanted? He said, yeah, I remember that mountain I wanted. He said, do you still want it? He said, yeah, I still want it. He goes, there's giants up there. He goes, I am well able. I'm still as capable as I have ever been in my life. He's 85 years old. Now, the giants were still there. God had promised the victory, but Caleb still had to fight. And I think sometimes we're waiting for God to knock down every obstacle in our life. And we're just kind of sitting back like, God, do your thing. And when God knocks it down, we'll walk through. But no, God says, there are some things that I train you to do. I train your hands to do. I train your life to do. I train your mind to do. Wow. This is important for us because if we don't realize this, if we don't ever allow God to train us, then God cannot trust us. And I think God is waiting for us to allow him to train us, transform us, right? We talked about transformation. Transformation is different than elevation. God is more concerned about your character than your promotion, right? So God is trying to transform you, but God is trying to transform you so he can elevate you. He wants to be able to trust you with increase. So if I can train you, I can trust you. Wow. Hebrews 5 and 11 through 14, rebukes, rebukes people who do not want to be trained. The writer says, about this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. Solid food is for the mature. Those who have their powers of discernment, what? Trained. <laughs> they have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So we're in a fight, but we also need to make sure that we are training ourselves for the fight. Not just, again, remember, not just the fights on the outside of us, more importantly, the fight on the inside of us. Because there's a Jacob and there's an Israel in every one of us. When you, when you read Genesis 32, and we talked about how the angel says, hey, hey, uh, your name is no longer Jacob, you are now Israel. Well, in the next chapter, it starts out with calling him Jacob. And then a couple times it throws in Israel. And then in the next couple chapters, it switches back and forth, Jacob to Israel. Have you ever felt like, 
that's you? <laughs> like you switch back and forth from the new guy and from the old guy. Like you're really good right now. Like you're sitting in church. Israel is on full blast right now. You are your best Israel right now. But when you get into that parking lot, especially on a Sunday morning, <laughs> Jacob is like, hey, I'm back. <laughs> right? And this was this fight that not only Jacob wrestled with this for the rest of his life, Paul wrestled with this. He said, the only way I'm really gonna be delivered from this is when Jesus comes and he rescues me from this body. This fight is gonna go on for the rest of my life. <laughs> In 2 Corinthians, he talks about, I think it's chapter 10, Paul talks about how God has delivered us, he will deliver us, and he will come again and deliver us. So not only are you delivered, but you are being delivered and you will be delivered. <laughs> Is there anybody in the room thankful today that like God covers all the bases? Like he's not left this, he's not like, oh man, I forgot to like ultimately deliver them. <laughs> like he, he has thought this through to the end. He, he has delivered us, he is delivering us, and he will deliver us. So there is, there is the possibility for victory in this life. Doesn't mean that the old man is never going to show up. The old man is never going to try to take over your life. The Bible teaches us that if we will live by the Spirit, if we will intentionally sow into our spirit, then we will not obey the flesh and its desires. Is there anybody thankful today that we can win over our flesh? Ah, I'm so thankful for that. Jacob is on that mountain and he's wrestling and the angel of the Lord says, which turns out to be Jacob realizes, oh my gosh, that was, that was the Lord. <laughs> it's a wild story. But he's up there wrestling on, on that mountain and the Bible says that the angel of the Lord says, you are no longer Jacob, but you are, you are Israel. And, and this is what God does. In order to pull you forward, he'll give you a glimpse of what is possible in your life. You are not every, when he calls you Israel, you're not everything that Israel is destined to be. He shows you that so he can unlock an appetite for something better in your life. And I think the reason many of you even found your way in here tonight, even though you've had a very difficult week, it's because you've been exposed to something that God wants to do in your life that is better than where you currently are. And so there's a part of you that's still fighting for what God exposed to you, for what God showed you, for that vision that he gave you, for that dream that he put in your heart, for that thing that he says, this is possible. And so you're here because you've been exposed to better. So God's like, you're not everything you should be in this moment. And so I'm gonna show you who you can be so that I'll put a hunger in you because once I have seen what is possible for my life, I will never be satisfied 
with anything less than what I saw. And only you know what God showed you. That's why you do not have to allow people to put limitations on your life, because only you know what God showed you. I'm sure when Jacob came off the mountain and he goes, hey everybody, I'm Israel, they were all like, okay, cool. And I'm sure they, they, they messed up every now and then and they were like, hey Jacob, he's like, guys, it's Israel. It's Israel. And they could have at some point, they could have done some investigating and realized, okay, Israel means prince with God, Jacob, um, I've been a part of your entire life. You are not a prince with God. You are a trickster. All I've ever known about you is that you trick people. You don't get to change your name just because you feel like it. Oh, but you don't understand. I didn't change it. God changed it. See, people aren't gonna understand when you start to see yourself in a different light. People aren't gonna be able to make sense of why you all of a sudden have this confidence that God can do something for you that he's never done for you before, that's never been done in your family, that's never been done in your history, that you don't have the pedigree for, you don't have the background for, you don't have the education for, but God told you he would do it. So you have to have the confidence that even though everybody else still sees me like Jacob, I know who God showed me I can be. Is there anybody in the room tonight who want to put your hands together and say, I know who God, I know who God showed me I could be. And I will not settle for anything less than who he said I could be. I'm not settling. So you might not like it when I run around calling myself Something other than Robbie, but he showed me something. <laughs> wow. I love this. I love this picture about Jacob's life. I hate it for Jacob, but I love it for what it teaches us. The Bible said about Jacob, one of the reasons that he wrestled so hard in his life was because the Bible clearly says that his father preferred Esau, and his mother preferred him. And I love this, that even though his dad didn't choose him, God did. And he, he took the blessing, he tricked Esau out of his birthright. Esau didn't like him. His father didn't prefer him. He made some mistakes, but God still chose him. <laughs> wow. Thank you, God, that even though people wouldn't, have picked me. And people wouldn't have picked you. Thank you that you. Is anybody in the room thankful that God chose you?
As a matter of fact, it's probably better that they didn't. Because if they did, you might get confused on why you are who you are. The, the outside presbyters, the Bishop McBath and Bishop Green and Dr. Pruitt and Pastor Don Schultz, these are four men, four men, uh, Dr. Pruitt passed away. Um, but Bishop Green and Bishop McBath and Pastor Don, by the way, exciting, Bishop McBath is gonna be here this summer. So excited that they're traveling again and Bishop Green is gonna be here this fall. These, these men oversee our church. They're outside overseers. They're, my life is accountable to them. And uh, years ago, when um, my father did not want me to be the pastor, y'all have to understand that he wasn't, he wasn't into this. Pastor Fred will tell you this. Um, First of all, he didn't want to hire me. The leaders had to talk him into that. Um, it was because he didn't love me. I think there's just a part of him that didn't want it to be like, I'm his dad and I'm doing this because I'm his dad and he's my son. And so they, <laughs> they came to a, to a leaders meeting and they, they were just convinced Robbie is supposed to be the next pastor of the church. And so we had this leaders meeting. Right, you were there. And um, when they said it, someone in the meeting like literally laughed out loud. <laughs> I'll never forget it. We believe that God has decided that Robbie's. <laughs> and they're like, wait, this, is, this isn't a joke. Like, no, this is, this is the way we're going. I've never, for a moment, that laugh is a constant reminder that God picked me. <laughs> and I want, you to, I want you to know that it doesn't matter who laughs, God chose you. And when God chooses you, he steps out. He steps out and he puts his name on the line for you. So can I, can I tell you, if God is willing to fight for the call that he has on your life, why aren't we? God fought for me. When people didn't believe in me, God fought for me. When people are trying to, even now when people are trying to destroy me, and God is fighting for me. So you better believe I'm gonna fight for the thing that he fought to give me. 
I'm not gonna let it go easily. You can't drag me up out of here just because it gets difficult. This place could go to half of the size it is and I'll still be showing up because I preached before all of y'all were here and I'll preach if all of y'all aren't. Please don't go. But I just need you to understand that I'm not fighting for your approval. I am here fighting because I've already been approved by God. And I'm going to fight for the thing. He stepped out and he trusted me to give me. And I dare you to do the same. You better fight for it. Jacob, he didn't always do it right. But God said it was his. He made some mistakes along the way, but he would not let go until he got his blessing. And listen to me, you do not want it easy. If it is easy, it is not worth having. I was in a meeting with some pastors one time, and they were all just going on, it's so hard to pastor, it's so hard to pastor. And I said, what did you think you were getting into? Like, if, if it was hard, if it was easy, you wouldn't want it. The thing that makes it desirable is that it is hard. The thing that makes it valuable is that it requires work. The thing that makes it worthwhile is that you have to fight to keep it. There is not a marriage in this room that has any value to it that was easy. There's no relationship in this room that has any worth to it that hasn't gone through some fights where somebody had to put their pride down, where somebody had to forgive, where somebody had to step out in faith, where somebody had to trust again, believe again. I'm telling you, if it's hard, that means it's worth it. You want a fight. You don't want it to be easy. <laughs> if you didn't have to fight for your calling, you don't have one. Sorry, but you don't. Strength is developed through resistance. And I need you to know this. If you weren't fighting the fight that you're fighting right now, you'd be fighting another one. The fight is normal. But not everybody wants to submit to the training. I'm starting to realize the, ch the church even, and I love Wednesday nights because I can just kind of talk a little bit more to you. The church even is going through some things that we just can't do in-house anymore. You know what I'm saying? Like, kinda, your church kind of get, the church kind of gets to a point where you're just like, hey, buddy, could you knock down a wall and make me a new room? You can't do that anymore. You just... You can't do it. There are people in the church that can knock a wall down and build another wall. But, but we've reached a point where we need specialists. <laughs> and some of you know what I'm talking about because you went to build a house and you used all your buddies. <laughs> that thing took three years to build. <laughs> They said they could get it done for this, but it did not end up costing that because they had no idea what they were doing. They built a doghouse and you thought they could build a house? <laughs> Ain't the same thing, my man. So there comes a point 
in your life where you need a specialist. Um, this is why a lot of people fail when they decide, hey, I'm going to work out. They, they, they're like, I'm going to go to the gym. Well, they go to the gym and they walk into the gym and there's all of this equipment and they're like, what do I do? And then they just start picking stuff up and moving it around. And then three weeks later, they're like, why do I still look exactly like I looked? It's because you don't know what to do with those weights. You need a trainer. I'll never forget my best friend in high school. When we got out of high school, we worked out together all the time when we were in high school. And after high school, I got married pretty much right out of high school. And then we had Chloe within the first couple years of our marriage. And so I'm about 21 or 22 years old. And I have put on like 30 pounds since high school. And I haven't seen this guy much. And, and uh, so he, he texted me one day. And he's like, hey, let's get something to eat. And I avoided him for like a month. I was thinking I can lose enough weight in a month to make him. Because <laughs> if it hadn't been for him in high school, like I would not have, I would not have worked out. I wouldn't have even been able to, to do a lot of the things I was able to do. And that wasn't a whole lot. But he pushed me. He really pushed me. So it's a month later and I feel a little bit better. But I go. So we go and we meet for breakfast. And he goes. He goes, bro, we shouldn't have met for breakfast. You look like you've already had a few of those. I hadn't seen him in a year. So we immediately left. He took me to the gym in my jeans and a t-shirt. And he was at my house for months. Monica will tell you, he would come to the house every morning and he would pick me up. He would get me in there and he would train me. <laughs> Sometimes we need specific help, don't we? <laughs> but if you're full of pride, pride will keep you from, beginning, from getting specific help. The Bible teaches us that pride comes before a fall. So what that means is before a fall comes pride. And somewhere in the middle of your pride and your fall, you're still standing. Y'all didn't catch that. Pride goes before the fall. So that means the fall comes before pride. So somewhere in the middle between your pride and your fall, you're still standing. There is a point that you reach in your pride that just because you haven't fallen, you think you're right. <laughs> that's, why, that's why the apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10 and 12, he says, so if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. And I found out that very often in my life, maybe it's this way in yours, I don't really want help. I want agreement. <laughs> and sometimes when I reach out, it's not because I want you to help me, it's because I want you to agree with me. I think that's the majority of the times in my life where I've sat down with people it's usually after they've made a decision and now they just want me to agree with them. 
It's like, Pastor, I already left your church. What do you think about that? Well, I would have been great if you came and talked to me before you left. Pastor, I already left my wife. How do you feel about that? Well, I would have liked to maybe talk to you guys before you went and made the decision. I think most of the time when we say we want help, we really don't want help. We want agreement. Here's the thing about a specialist. <laughs> a specialist doesn't need you. Here's our, here's our problem. We need help from people who don't have time to fight us to help us. <laughs> it's like, it's like you, you need heart surgery and you go to the doctor and the heart specialist says, this is the way I want to treat this and this is, how, this is what I need from you and this is the process and this is what the surgery is going to look like and this is what the recovery is going to look like. And you're like, I understand that, but you know, I was reading on Google last night that you could just take a little... The specialist cannot agree to treat you unless you agree to the treatment. Because they do not have time to argue with you over how to help you. Their fruit speaks for itself. And you're not, some of us, some of us are, are more interested in looking like we have a good marriage than actually having a good marriage. There are some people, listen to me, I know this, we're, we're, we're obsessed with looking like we're in shape, but if you were to see most people who go to the gym in shorts, you'd realize you, you'd skipped leg day. A lot. Because most people aren't interested in help. They want agreement. And so when you come in with the ability to help them, I, I, well, I know you're a specialist and I know you have fruit. Paul would look at the people and say, hey, if you're gonna make any judgments about me, make judgments about the lives of the people that have been under my ministry. Their lives are the fruit. They are the proof that I am who I say I am. Oh, man. Beware of people that have to tell you constantly who they are. Because they probably aren't that. Because if they really were, they wouldn't have to convince you. I'm the man of this house. Maybe you're not, because you keep saying it constantly. Oh, I love Wednesday nights. I wish every Sunday was a Wednesday. <laughs> so we have to make up our minds I'm going to humble myself I'm going to get the specialist help that I need the training that I need and I'm also going to help myself by I, I'm going to stop taking advice from people who have no fruit and some of y'all keep asking advice from people who have no fruit you're in your office, my marriage is a mess, and you turn 
to your girlfriend at the desk beside you and you're like, my husband, he doesn't do this. And she's like, girl, listen, that's why I've been married five times. Men just stink. Men ain't no good. And you're like, maybe she's right. Yeah, she's so wise. She's got it going on. But we do that, don't we? Because we really, if we, <laughs> if we really wanted help, we'd go to a specialist with some fruit and stop asking the people who have no fruit in that area of their lives, what do you think I should do? You have no real history in this area. What's your advice? It sounds crazy, but we do it all Funny, this is a funny story in the Bible. In Matthew chapter 16, the, the Bible says that Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples and he's, he's asking them this question. He's like, who's everybody out there saying that I am? The disciples are like, wow, man, some are like, you know, you're, you're, you're like one of the prophets, you're, you know, you did. And, and, and uh, he goes, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter, the Bible says, he goes, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus goes, man, that's awesome. What a revelation. He says, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my Father who's in heaven revealed this to you. And on this rock, I'm gonna build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Whatever you bind on earth, I'll bind in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth, I will loose in heaven. Can you imagine being Peter in that moment? Did you guys see what he just said? Bro, he's running around like, he's gonna build his church on me, guys. Like, I'm humbled. I'm humbled. I don't even know what to do with this. He's like walking around. He's telling people, hey, I'm hearing from heaven right now. So if you need, you need a word from the Lord, like I got you, right? Matthew 17. <laughs> Jesus takes him to the Mount of Transfiguration. And they're up on the mountain. And this incredible encounter is happening Moses and Elijah show up and Peter, he's, he's like, it worked down at the bottom of the hill. I guess it'll work up here on this mountain. So Peter opens up his mouth again and he says, Jesus, it is good that we are here, Lord. He, he says, I think I should build, I think I should build a house for you and for Moses and for Elijah. He's like, what do you think about that? And God puts a big cloud over the whole moment. And he says, <laughs> he says, this is my son, listen to him. Just because you were the man at the bottom of the hill, Peter, doesn't make you the man at the top of the hill. And there are some situations where yeah, you have some answers, but there are other situations where you need to just shut your mouth and let somebody else do the talking. Come on, is there, <laughs> is there anybody thankful that God has specialists in the earth? People that can help me in the area that I need help. <laughs> He's like, what well, worked for me down there? It's gonna, shut up, Peter. Okay, all right, got you. <laughs> He's like, I don't need you to build anything. I don't need you to say anything. 
I just need you to be quiet and listen. Some of us don't know what to do in that space where God is like, it's time for you to stop talking and ask for help. So we'd rather have agreement and we'd also rather be coddled. One of the reasons we really misunderstand God is we think that the Holy Spirit came to coddle us. Jesus didn't say the Holy Spirit was gonna come and coddle us. He said he was gonna come and comfort us. To need comfort, it must mean that you are not being coddled. To be coddled means that you're being protected from the elements. But the Holy Spirit is not the great coddler. (laughs) He is the comforter. And I think we misunderstand God. And so much of our frustration comes down to misunderstanding God's goodness in our life. So, so. If God is good, then why is this bad thing happening in my life? If God is good, then why is this? And we think that God's goodness is defined by our definition of what is good. When God being good means that he ultimately gets to decide what is good, even if it doesn't look like it's good to me. There are a lot of things that people went through in the Bible that I look at and I go, that wasn't good. By my standards, that wasn't good. But God is good, and he only does good. So even when it looks like he isn't doing good according to our standards, his ways are higher, his thoughts are higher, his mind is higher, and he doesn't have to bring his goodness down to our level of understanding. Some people are like, if God is so good, then why am, I, why am I crying like this? Oh, you misunderstood. He never said you wouldn't cry. He just said, I'll wipe away every tear. If God is so good, then why am I suffering like this? Why am I going through this fiery situation? He never said you wouldn't go through fiery situations. He just said they will not consume you. In the Old Testament, there's a story of three Hebrew boys that are, are threatened and, and, and they are told that they, know they must bow to this foreign God and they refuse to do so. And the king says, I'm throwing you in the fiery furnace. What do you think about that? They said, well, king, you gotta do what you gotta do. We serve God and he can deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we're still not gonna bow. And so the Bible says they get thrown into the fire They obeyed God, they didn't bow, but they still get thrown in. Can I tell you something? If God hasn't delivered you from it, that means he's getting ready to walk into it with you. Some of you need to give God some praise right now because God doesn't always deliver you from it. Sometimes he walks with you in it. Is there anybody in the room tonight who serves a God who has walked with you through some fires, who has walked with you through some trouble, who has walked with you through some difficulty? He didn't take you out. 
He walked right in it with you. I'm thankful that God walks right in it with me. So if he doesn't take me out, I want to tell you this, he's on his way in. Somebody needs to give him some praise tonight that he's on his way in. Come on, man, I am on my way in. I might not always take you out, but I'm on my way in. They look in that fire and they're like, whoa, didn't we throw three dudes in there? And somebody goes, yeah, but there's four. Some heathen goes, and the fourth one looks like the son of God. When, when God does what he is getting ready to do, everybody around you that doubted what God was doing in your life is going to realize that was the Lord after all. The God that he's been talking about, the God that they put their confidence in, the God that I didn't understand why they believed him, that's, that's their God and he's walking with them through the fire. <laughs> Let me give you three relationships that God uses to train you, and I'll let you go. First one, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I say relationship because the Holy Spirit is not an it. Holy Spirit is a he. Third person of the Godhead, Jesus said. Jesus didn't say, when I leave, it will come. He said, he will come. He's a person. He's just as much God as the Father, just as much God as the, th as the Son. There are three that bear record in heaven. These three are one, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he wants relationship with you. Hmm. John 16 and eight, Jesus said, when he comes, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. So the Holy Spirit's role in training you is to convict you. We're gonna talk a little bit more on Sunday about what training looks like, about what the Holy Ghost does to convict you, how conviction works, the difference between conviction and condemnation. But I wanna give these to you so that you can be studying just a little bit, be thinking ahead just a little bit. The Holy Spirit wants a relationship with you because his role, he is, to, he is going to convict you you of sin the word sin just means to miss the mark the holy spirit is going to come in your life and say israel you're acting like jacob here's who i've made you to be you're better than this the holy spirit never comes to shame you when you have encountered the conviction of the Holy Spirit, what he has done is he has shown you the best version of you to the point where you say, I can be that. And if you say you won't leave me, then I can be that. If you said you won't forsake me, then I can be that. Second relationship, spiritual leadership. So the Holy Spirit comes to convict spiritual church leadership comes to equip. Ephesians chapter four, verse 11 through 13 says, so Christ gave himself, 
gave, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach the unity of the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's what's happening right now. It's not my job to convict you. Man, Robbie really convict me tonight. No, no. I'm not the Holy Spirit. It's my role to equip you. Now, when I'm preaching, the Holy Spirit may convict you, but not because of my words, but because all I'm doing is telling you his words. Right? But the conviction doesn't come from me. Conviction comes from him. It's not my job to change people. It's my job to equip people. You're like, I brought my friend to church and Robbie couldn't fix him. It's not Robbie's job. My friend's marriage is falling apart and I brought him to church and Robbie didn't talk about marriage for four weeks in a row. It's not my job to fix people. It's my job to equip people. I'm, I'm, like, a, I'm like a doctor who writes a prescription. If you don't go get it filled, it's not my fault. <laughs> Third relationship, friends. So the Holy Spirit convicts you. Spiritual leadership equips you. Friends sharpen you. Proverbs 27 and 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. I was thinking about this today and I was thinking about the, the fight. We've been talking about how we're in a fight. And, and very often, uh, I had a friend preach a series years ago and he he asked, who's, who's in your circle? And, and I wanna ask kind of a similar question, but in a different way, one that's more connected to, to like the idea of, of boxing. Because remember the first verse we talked about, I'm not boxing as, just not punching into the air. I'm actually, I'm trying to, trying to make my body obey God. So I wanna ask this question, who's in your corner? <laughs> right? You ever watch a boxing match and you, you see the fighter as he, as he stops fighting and he's all beat up and he walks over to the corner and he sits down and he, he takes a little bit of a break and, and while he's there, there's, there's usually three different people in the corner. The, the head corner man gives instructions and helps the fighter adjust his strategy. This is usually the, the head trainer. So this is the person who, when they sit down in that chair, jumps around in front, and it was like, hey, you're doing this, you should be doing this. Or they're doing this, so he helps you with strategy. This, this is important because a good friend won't tell you you are winning when you are losing. <laughs> and you got, you, got, you got friends that are blowing smoke at you. You're the best thing that's ever happened, buddy, and you are losing. That's not a sharpening friend. That's not a friend who sharpens another friend. That's a, that's a person who likes to see you lose because it makes them more comfortable with their losing. So you need somebody in your corner that's gonna look at you and say, hey, you are getting your butt handed to you right now. We need to adjust. A good friend will hold you accountable to your potential. 
They won't let you settle for less. So two things they won't do. They won't let you keep fighting when you lost this one. So they'll throw in the towel for you. You need friends that love you enough to jump in and stop an attack that you don't know how to stop. And you're so wounded and so beaten, but you don't know how to quit because all your life you thought that losing defined you. But if you watch boxing, there's always a rematch. You always get a chance to go back, to train again, to fight again. And just because you lost this battle does not mean that the war is over. And you need a friend who recognizes that we need to save your life so that you can fight another day. Don't do your friends like they did Apollo Creed. Throw the towel in. Love them enough to stop it before they die in a in a fight that they weren't supposed to die in. But, but here's, here's the thing, it's not just about having people in your corner, it's about having the right people in your corner. See, that first person is responsible for strategy, that second corner man is responsible to give you water. So when you're thirsty and you come back over there, if you don't have that second corner man with the water, you can dehydrate. And no, no wonder so many of you are dehydrated spiritually because you go back to your corner and you don't have anybody that gives you water. All you got in your life is a bunch of takers. And you're the one fighting, and you go over to the corner, and they're asking you for water. You need friends who recognize when you're in the ring and you are fighting the fight of your life, and it's time for them to serve you. There will be a time for you to serve them. That's what a real friend knows. My dude is in a fight right now. It's time for me to serve. <laughs> the third person is the cut man. The cut man is there to fix the cut, the cut over your eye. He's there to help you deal with that lump on your head from that shot you took so that it doesn't open up. And he's there and they, they're just... You ever see boxers, they just got Vaseline all over their face. And they do that because they don't want the blood to get into the eye because if you're fighting and you can't see, you need friends that will help you stay committed to the vision that God put into your life. They will hold you accountable to the potential that is in your life. When you say, I can't keep fighting, they put some Vaseline on you and say, yes, you can. Yes, you can. You've been through worse than this. You, you made it through worse than this. You thought, you remember that? when You, you remember when they hit you? You remember when you got knocked down? You've been through worse than this? You, so they, they know not only when to throw in the towel, but they know when to tell you, you need to keep fighting now. You need to get back up, baby. You need to get back up. How many of you are thankful for friends in your life who keep telling you it's time to get back up? Hallelujah. Come on, stand on your feet with me tonight. And this is crazy because 
a boxer will have all of this help and they will train for months for one fight. And we're running around like, I don't need any help. I got this. hey, you should probably talk to somebody. No, I'm good. I've got this. Hey, you should probably, maybe you and your wife should sit down with another married couple and begin a conversation about how to, no, we're fine. I've got this. Hey, um, you're ruining every opportunity because your attitude is terrible. No, I'm fine. I'm just waiting for the right person. What person? The person who likes terrible attitudes like what are you waiting for like so you got to recognize hey you are in the fight of your life but if you don't train and you don't get the help you need you're not going to have the conviction necessary to change when you need to change you're not going to have the tools necessary to fight the enemy. When you see someone getting ready for, for a boxing match, they don't even put their own gloves on. Somebody else is doing it for them. And you're out here trying to, no wonder it's not working. You're trying to do it by yourself. And you are not designed to do it by yourself. You need help. You need help, Father, in Jesus' name. I have kept your people way too long just to tell them for 50 minutes that they need help. So God, I pray, I pray tonight that our eyes would be open to see where you're trying to provide specific help and we're rejecting it where our pride is getting in the way of our development. You're trying to help us. You're trying to grow us. One of the greatest signs of spiritual growth is self-awareness. Paul was very aware of his shortcomings, his failures, his flaws. He was very aware of who he was in, in, in light of who Christ was. And it kept him humble enough to know that I need you. I, 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 I kept him humble enough to know that, that if, I, if, I, if you turn me over to my weakness, I am done. But thank you that you, 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 you give me strength in my weakness. That, that your grace is sufficient for my area of weakness. Help us, God, to not be so full of pride that we hide our weaknesses but God help us to show you our weaknesses and expose them and admit them so your grace can empower us for the fight in Jesus name we pray and everybody in the room shouted amen